0: hello good morning and welcome to taking ship a guided cruise through dumbest timeline america i'm frank spring and with me as always is ellie Jacobs, a man whose only regret is that he has but one beer to drink for his country
1: Indeed. Hey, Frank, as always, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for their comments, both positive and negative. We got a couple of those over the last few days and urge everyone to subscribe and rate us on iTunes or wherever they get their podcasts. Please follow us on Twitter at @takingship, and that's ship with a P as in phrenology. Um, you know, Not to brag too much, but we think that the Twitter feed has gotten much better over the last few days as we have refocused on it. Um, and we're also on Facebook, um, although we have largely ignored that as of late. Um, we mentioned uh, at the very abrupt end of last week's episode that we had g- gone on to have a lengthy conversation about single-payer health care. And since uh, the uh, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, starts tonight, I'll be uh, unavailable the next couple days. So uh, we decided to post the single-payer uh, uh, episode as a standalone. Uh, and the timing is pretty good based on everything else that's going on uh, in in the world, in the country right now. Um, so we'll get to that in a second. But we figured because it is current events and it is related, uh, we talk a little bit about the Graham-Cassidy uh, bill and uh, Jimmy Kimmel because they're all sort of interrelated. Um, so uh, Senator Graham from uh, South Carolina, Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, they have proposed a yet another uh, Obamacare uh, repeal and replacement. Um, this is also a horrific bill, uh, much like the previous bill much like the previous Trump Care bill. Um, the primary difference with this one is that it basically just block grants um, all the money to the states. So I'm not exactly sure that the country is going to be saving money on this. Um, and it certainly creates disasters for people who, you know, live in one state, work in another, commute between different states. I mean, it creates all kinds of different problems for, you know, th- this is like, you know, uh, uh, the Federalist Society going overboard about federalism gone amok, so that their response is to just block grant to states. And a number of bipartisan governors have already come out against this. Um, uh, From the early analysis, which uh, at this part is very wanting because the Congressional Budget Office has not done their, has not had time to fully score this thing, it looks like states like New Jersey and New York will uh, lose significant amount of money. Um, And other states whose governors, if you'll recall several years ago, decided to turn down free money from the government because they were so deathly opposed to Obamacare and a government takeover of healthcare, uh, will uh, suddenly start doing a lot better. Um, did I miss anything, Frank? No,
0: that's pretty well. There, it is worth talking about the the fact that contained within this bill, apparently are implications that, um, uh, you know, there are certain pieces of there there are certain uh you know vital services that health insurance companies may not be may not may no longer be be obliged to cover that there could be a, for example a lifetime cap on uh, what an insurance and, and what an insurance company would have to pay to uh, to ensure someone could pay have to pay to insure someone which uh, as I think an article um, that was that was posted uh, yesterday said, you could if if you were born prematurely, you could hit your lifetime cap within the first few days of your life. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you know it doesn't cover prenatal. It just it's it is uh, not only in a uh, not only this as as Elliot very accurately describes um, a kind of bizarre and contentless you know I mean knee jerk federalism, you know, federalism, uh, it, you know it, it, in its most reductive form, but also is uh, yet another attempt to let um,
1: insurance companies off the hook for um, how would how to describe this uh, insuring people? Yeah, that's kind of the real thing here. Um, and from what the Trump administration has said about it, they clearly continue to not understand how insurance works. Uh, I think the quote was, uh, people don't want to spend money to for other people to get health care. They want to spend money for themselves to get health care." Yes, while that is true, that is not how insurance works.
0: Yeah. The very um, I mean, it's, this is, yeah, this is a, this is a, a frequent talking point, but it's worth, but it's worth mentioning. Uh, first I actually dispute the, uh, I actually dispute the accuracy of, of the notion that people want healthcare for their families and not for other people. Actually, I actually,
1: I, I agree with that maybe also.
0: I'm hopelessly naive, but like this, I mean, you know, the idea that, that America is this, I mean, God, I mean, God, we've got fucking problems, I mean, especially in this, the dumbest possible timeline. Uh, but the idea that America is now or ever has been such a staggeringly callous place uh, that we, you know that that we honestly are just sort of you know that everyone is their own you know individual Ebenezer Scrooge just 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 flies in the face of history. Uh, and then also, if even if we did believe that, uh, that is not remotely how insurance works. And and there's no point in pretending that it is. So we've we've been treated to a large number of just stupefyingly cynical uh, talking points from uh, various Republicans on this bill.
1: Yeah. And the fact that uh, what they've got 48 are on board already. Uh, the only two knows thus far are Rand Paul, because it doesn't go far enough, which I mean, give credit to him where it's due. At least he's being consistent in some sense. Um, and Susan Collins uh, on, uh, you know, they can lose one more. Yeah. Or one more kills it. One more, ki- one more kills one more it. Kills it. Yeah, yeah. One more kills it. Um, so, uh, we'll move on. We're going to, we'll, we'll get off this pretty quickly, but, um, one thing, and we posted this on the Twitter feed this morning, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, um, who a few weeks ago during the height of the, uh, Trump care, uh, push inter- uh, he had a, he had a son, uh, who had a congenital heart defect when he was born, needed immediate open heart surgery. Um, and he was covered and Billy and Jimmy Kimmel obviously got very emotional talking about this on air. And then he very quickly, um, smartly, Uh, both as a person and as someone who has an audience that pays attention to what he says um, Turned to uh, the implications of the trump care bill and people like him Uh, particularly the point being that Were I not jimmy kimmel and couldn't didn't have good insurance and or could not afford this on my own My son would be dead Uh, All of which is true Um, To which uh, bill cassidy the senate self-same senator from louisiana who I don't know if I mentioned earlier is a physician himself Came on his show and basically said that he was, you know, created this Jimmy Kimmel test where uh, any healthcare bill that he was going to support um, wouldn't have lifetime caps, wouldn't uh, pre- would, wouldn't um, deny coverage to people with pre-existing conditions, and several other things. Um, this bill does all of that. So Jimmy Kimmel um, did about a six and a half minute monologue last night tearing into Bill Cassidy and the bill. Uh, smartly, um, it, it, it was um, not your kind of typical. Uh, um, diatribe of just somebody angry he actually made some very cogent, intelligent points about why the bill is evil. The people who are backing who are opposed to the bill, which is essentially anyone who provides you health care, um, all the hospital associations, um, all the um, uh, 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 advocacy organizations like America Heart Association, American Lung Association, American Diabetes Association, everybody is opposed to this bill. Um, uh, and while at the same time, they're uh, look for a brief period of time, and I don't really know a lot of details, I don't know if a lot of details are out about it, that uh, Lamar, Alexander, and uh, Patty Murray were working on some sort of compromise Obamacare fix bill, uh, which has now been completely shelved because Graham and Cassidy introduced this thing, Um, which, again, just shows some of the cynicism of the Republican Party that there was an opportunity to actually do what they're there to do, which is either create new laws or fix laws that are in current existence and that has all been shelved because Graham and Cassidy pulled this, no, we're just going to blow up the whole system out of their asses. It's worth watching Jimmy Kimmel's uh, monologue. Uh, it's absolutely worth taking a couple seconds and calling your uh, senator uh, and congressman if this does get through the Senate. Um, and importantly, this is all on a very, very tight timeline uh, because of the, the government fiscal year ends at the end of September, which means the budget reconciliation process, which is how they would only need 51 votes to get this through the Senate, Uh, essentially disappears as a rule and then it would revert to needing the full 60 votes to pass through the senate so uh, the democrats are looking at ways to delay this through the end of the month Um, having some of the jewish holidays may help some of that Um, but regardless uh, pick up the phone go to a rally uh, do something that's the important thing here do we want to talk about the unga frank and and rocket man and destroying a whole and destroying north korea yeah, um <clears throat> I, I mean I
0: think it's hard to think of what I was just rereading the I'm just rereading the text of the speech now. It's hard to think about what we would
1: necessarily say about this thing, right? Like it's I mean, it's a fucking catastrophe. <laughs> uh quickly. Uh just because the, there's the, the one comment that Eli Lake, who is a more or less neoconservative columnist for Bloomberg View, but um is very intelligent and and you know, has very smart columns and he's worth reading on a pretty regular basis. Uh his column about the UNGA speech he made he made mention that it was that listening to the speech, if he closed his eyes, it was like sitting in a weekly standard uh, editorial board meeting yeah, I mean this was a speech that was completely divorced from
0: uh from reality uh in any meaningful sense of the term like it's uh, it it reflects i think a, a fundamentally it, what what struck me is is sort of how weird and sour it was even for trump uh, it is it Trump is one of the few politicians I can think of. Who would be capable of an act of such sort of brazen internal contradiction as beginning a speech in praise of the Marshall Plan and the rebuilding of Europe, and then proceeding basically to take a position that is, you know, all all of y'all foreigners best piss off? Uh, and just it, it's it, it's a it is I don't know if it was more dangerous or just more unbelievably stupid or kind of what the uh, the powerful combination of the, the heady mix of those two flavors is but uh, I mean this this was it was it, this I, I wish I could say I was surprised we know what he is uh, it is nonetheless it's important that we retain our capacity to at least be so you know a little surprised and a little disheartened when the President of the United States, Gets up before an assembly of other world leaders uh, and makes and and appalls uh, the. There's a great picture of uh, the delegation from Zimbabwe and manages to appall them with his uh, with his monomaniacal ravings about about his own importance and the importance of his country overall. Like if you have pissed off the good people, if you pissed off the representatives of the Mugabe government uh, with your own with your with uh, your with your self centeredness
1: and myopia, you have
0: done something truly remarkable. So kudos to us.
1: Yeah. Uh, and there's also, you know, just the, the grand paradox of his approach to North Korea versus the approach to Iran. Um, and we, we still have not had a lengthy conversation about the Iran deal or North Korea, um, mostly because we want somebody super smart to come on and talk about both things. Um, but as we get closer to uh, the next uh, reporting deadline, uh, which is, I think is October 13th, uh, we'll, we'll spend some more time on the Iran deal and uh, the flaws of the deal and how uh the trump current approach to trying to fix it uh is a figment of stephen miller em, stephen miller's imagination mm-hmm. um all right so with yeah yeah,
0: so we you know that's that there will be more on these subjects uh you know I many obviously our take our our read on on unga is pretty much what you would expect uh and yeah so uh, now uh, we, we so we turn now uh, to what will be an, an astonishing, a uh, a revelatory, perhaps or at least a bewildering uh, segment in which you can be uh, entertained, delighted, and mystified uh, by two guys talking about single payer healthcare. Uh, you know, listen to the segment and then decide whether they know what they're talking. Bernie Sanders has put up his uh, his health care bill, uh, his single payer bill, which he does every year, uh, and or every uh, yeah every year, uh, and as has John Conyers, who puts it up in the House every year, and uh, usually it is. Not particularly popular uh, this year. Uh, Bernie Sanders' bill has a large number of uh, co-sponsors. Sixteen co-sponsors. Sixteen f- co-sponsors. A full third of the Democratic caucus. And there is a sense that its moment that single payer is. And we've talked about single payer before. We've talked about its increasing popularity. This is yet another sign. That this is this is happening. Uh, I you know this is becoming a thing for the Democratic Party. I will say neither Ellie nor I are here to try and convince you that that Bernie Sanders' single payer health care bill is going to pass. It is not.
1: It's not even going to get to the floor. It's not going to get to the committee. It's, it's, it's people going will make, nowhere. People will make paper airplanes of it if they printed it. And I don't know like what the rules are anymore. Sure.
0: But nonetheless, but this is not about the passage of this particular bill. This is simply about this as an indication, as yet another indication, uh, that uh, single payer is becoming a major issue for the Democratic Party and increasingly looking like You know, something that could make its way into the official plank or at least become pretty standard policy for Democratic uh, candidates in the future. Uh, So, uh, what are we to make of the rise of single payer, Ellie?
1: So, the rise of single payer, and uh, we must warn you, listeners, um, that you're about to listen to a somewhat reasoned, somewhat researched debate between Frank Spring and myself, because uh, although we probably end up on pretty similar planks on this one, uh, we're starting on pretty divergent ones, because I think Bernie is a lunatic, and uh, as my parents, who lived in Burlington, Vermont when he was mayor, as one of them said to me once, I couldn't vote for him then because he was a lunatic. Um, You know, single-payer is uh, a nice idea. Most first world countries, first world economies around the world have some version of single payer. Again, it's important to differentiate exactly what that means. For instance, some countries, uh, I'm thinking particularly of Israel, uh, there is universal universal coverage as a right, uh, which has a single payer aspect to it. But then you can buy private insurance on top of that, uh, which uh, most people do. But still, you're not going to go bankrupt if you have to have your tonsils removed. And that's sort of what it boils down to. Um, so, Frank, maybe the way we do this is, you know, in terms of kind of how popular, how popular it is, um, and again, think of polling what you want, what you don't want. Um, you know, for instance, 90% of the population supports background checks, 60-plus percent of the population oppose a border wall, and 56% of, a, of the population say, say America should, quote, discourage the use of coal, yet we have a president and a Congress that oppose all three of those things. Um, so there was a July Quinnipiac poll that said, uh, that suggested there's 51 percent support for single payer and 57 percent support for something called Medicare for All. Um, those numbers drop by anywhere from 15 to 20 percent once you start actually explaining what either one is. Um, but the idea of single payer is essentially the government becomes your health insurance company. It all comes from the government, um, and, and that's it. There's no, there's no such thing as health insurance companies anymore. Um, it's you know Medicare for all, but not really because Medicare would be completely reinvented. Bernie Sanders, um, he's starting with the premise that over the next, what is it, Frank? Ten years? Ten years? Ten years? This medi- it, it, Medicare would be expanded to include everyone, and over that course of time, the healthcare industry, the health insurance industry would be decimated. Um, and you know, I just did some quick. Back of the napkin calculations, the market capitalization of the health insurance companies um, is probably about two-thirds of a trillion dollars, Um, and there's somewhere around a half a million employees in these health insurance companies. These are the people who are, you know, executives and also the people who are taking your phone calls and, you know, filling the envelopes for your prescriptions that you're getting from from the insurance companies directly. So there are a lot of questions to be asked, um, but, Frank, why don't, you know, the position that I start out at is uh, healthcare, care, and I agree with Bernie on this, Healthcare, care, uh, it, it, it should not be a privilege, it should be a right. Um, and I look at this and, you know, education is a right. You know, K through 12 is a right. You don't have to pay money to get a K through 12 education in this country, pre-K through 12 in some states. You don't have to pay money for it. And obviously we can argue about, you know, those kids are covered by health insurance through CHIP and other things. Fine, That's not important. The idea is, is that there are some aspects that we as a society have deemed so utterly necessary to get ahead that it is a right, not just a privilege, education being one of those. Um, so my, my primary question when looking at an insurance scheme is how are you going to achieve universal coverage, which the ACA is still yet to do. Uh, any plan the Republicans have... Um, puked up, um, actually made it significantly worse. And then I have two secondary questions. And there's, you know, a third one, actually three, three secondary questions. One, how will you ensure a better outcomes than the current system has? How are you going to make it more efficient? Two, if there are still costs involved, meaning that there is still some kind of private insurance involved, how are you going to lower costs? And three, and this is where a lot of things get hung up, how the hell are you going to pay for it? Sure. These are all, I mean, these are great
0: questions. <clears throat> I will say there are a couple of things. In, yeah. Uh, so the first question is, how do you, like, you know, what if the broad question that we're trying to answer is, how do you ensure that everyone has access to health care? The reason the single payer is gaining, is gaining in popularity is that it appears to be the only way that's on the table right now. Uh, uh, the ACA leaves uh, some, 24 million people without health insurance. Uh, that's a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. It's and and improving it could probably narrow some of that. But if you're, but incremental improvements to the ACA aren't going to get to that 24 million people. So single parent, in some respects, is really the only way to. I mean, there's there's no incentive not to have health insurance. You're immediately you are automatically enrolled in it. So every citizen is automatically enrolled, and you've seen, uh, and you know we've seen automatic enrollment schemes of various time, uh, various types for other elements of government. There are uh, uh, there um, uh, automatic uh, voter registration rules in certain places. uh,
1: You're enrolled in Social Security. Yeah, you're, enrolled yeah, you're
0: born, born. Yeah, exactly right. as soon as you're born you're really yeah, thank you that's a perfect example forgive me that's exactly right as soon as you're born you're enrolled in social security so you know you're going to have to take people who are now those of us who are our age or younger are likely fucked from that but you are sure, enrolled but, but you're enrolled yeah um so you know and, and you you're your essentially your health insurance number you know your your insurance number simply becomes your social security number i'm not mm-hmm. saying it's going to be the exact same thing for security reasons but you take my point right like you can enroll all of these people how are you going to get better out well, according this, to
1: apple it'll just be your face it will just be your face that's, that's exactly you right
0: you'll just be scanned in every time you go in uh, because nobody
1: bad, nobody uh, nothing
0: bad has ever come from no, that that's, that's uh, just you just know that it's some you just know that the facial recognition thing is somehow going to be racist i haven't figured out how yet but it's going to
1: be uh but turning out of the but turning to the broader To region. like a very obscure ethnicity too it's not going to be like black white it's going to be like Papua new guinea or something
0: yeah, it's anyway, it'll find it'll find it'll innovate, it'll dis, it'll disrupt racism. If we've learned
1: anything about Silicon Valley over the last week and this is between Facebook, you know, selling ads to antisemites and and colluding with Russia to throw the election, Silicon Valley will find a way to screw something up.
0: Oh yeah, the people that are going, that are that have declared some sort of uh, private sector fatwa against bodegas. That was my <laughs> that's my absolute favorite and by that I mean it's one of the worst ideas I've ever heard. Uh, I mean, if you want to sort of talk about people who are trying to fix what ain 't fucking broke all right well, let's get back to the thing let 's get back to single Things that are broken yeah exactly it's a bit that was a, that was what we call a good transition there we go <laughs> now we're we 're heating up now here in the third hour of this podcast uh How do you ensure better outcomes? This is a more technical discussion. I will say uh, there are the data on this is quite clear and quite dispositive um not only that that outcomes are Better, usually, and there, there's a there's a divergence here, some systems produce better out some single pair systems produce better outcomes almost across the board. Right, that there you know, you, I mean, for almost anything that could possibly go wrong with you, you want to be in a single payer system. Uh, that, for the most part, is a place like Canada tends to, you know, it has tended to have those results, some of the Scandic systems. Whatever's wrong with you, you almost certainly want to be in one of those countries. There are other places where you get better results only in the top 200 to 250 ailments that, that uh, strike people. If you start getting into the really rare and strange stuff, then your outcomes might get better if you were somewhere else. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think that the NHS in Britain is one of the, if one of the top 250 things, which incidentally you're talking about stuff that affects about 95% of the population, a little bit yeah. more than that, I think. Uh, uh, one so in four
1: people have cancer kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Like of your, you know, all, you know, of those really, really, uh, you know, the extremely common to the stuff that if you are listening to this, if you, end, if you end up getting a health problem of some kind, you're more than likely to get. Uh, well, it's pair, not just a, it's not just health problem. We're talking
1: about childbirth. Sure. That's a good, yeah. yeah, We're talking about scoliosis checks. Like we're talking about just the the outcome is better and it's not even a problem. It's just, you know, uh, life. And so here, and this is a point, this is something
0: that's worth getting into just, and and I promise I will stay on the technical end of this only briefly, but the sort of overarching concept for why these systems do better is actually in the way that they regulate the amount of care that is prescribed. And that is very, like, that reality is very triggering to certain audiences when they hear about healthcare because they think, oh, God, I, you know, something will go wrong with me, and a bean counter will prevent right. me from getting treatment. Boom, death panel. The, the under, yeah, boom, death, that's where the death panel theory came from. Uh, not even, it wasn't even a theory. It was just a thing that some idiots it was just said. Joe that Wilson. just, you know, fucking asshole. Joe Wilson and Sarah Palin. Exactly. The underlying theory of this is based on the Dartmouth study. Um, can, you know, the eponymous Dartmouth study conducted at that university that looked at healthcare outcomes based on, uh, this is a, a some, someone out there is a healthcare expert, and they are, they are even now about to, you know, they're about to at me for being reductive on this, so I apologize, but this is, this is essentially the essence of it. It looked at healthcare outcomes for most of the common treat most of the common things that you need treatment for, heart attacks, right, things of that sort. And what they found was, there is, it, so let's take someone who, you've just had your heart attack, you've just had whatever it is go wrong, you are untreated. Your outcome at that, if you're not treated at all, your outcome is probably going to be pretty poor because you need because you something has gone wrong and no one is treating it right. So, at that at the point of there being no treatment, your outcome is very poor. As you get more treatment, your outcome gets better and better and better. Okay, you've gone to the hospital, you've seen the people that you need to see, you've been treated with a certain thing, you've been given your aspirin, like they've taken care, like all this other stuff, and then there reaches a point at which the more you get, the more treatment you get, the worse your outcomes actually become. And, the, and that each of those, each of the, and after that point, although each of the individual treatments can make a degree of sense uh, on its own, the mere degree of tinkering with whatever was wrong in the first place means that the person actually gets less healthy, not more. This and this is the that study on is the best explanation. It's not the central strategic principle of of of, uh, of single payer systems, but it is the best explanation that I have heard. One of the best explanations for why single payer systems produce better outcomes, because the current profit based model of healthcare in the United States incentivizes prescription, right? Like it is just a, you know if you are you know a hospital administrator, a doctor, whatever, like. In order to turn your profits, uh and, and I'm you know, I'm not throwing accusations at doctors, I'm not accusing know of twirling their mustache and saying, aha, I'm going to kill this person for my own profit. It's just a system, it's a, a symptom of the way the system is set up, where you know, if you the more stuff you prescribe, the more you can charge back bill back to the insurers, and the more that the insurers are ta- able to take from their the more the insurers take from their subscribers uh, and pay out. The, and it's essentially the the business model is set up to encourage. Uh, prescription of treatments of various kinds and this is one of this is one of but not the only reason why our outcomes are actually worse that we overtreat people and that's a very hard now that's a very hard thing to get around because again it conjures up this image of like oh god i need that last that one last treatment uh, and i'm not going to be able to get it because my you know my healthcare is rationed that's not what happens what happens is you don't get to the point where you need that last treatment because your outcome was better from the start because you weren't being overtreated so that's one of, and I think a key reason why single-payer systems produce better outcomes. And again, I'm, I'm far from a health healthcare expert, but that's as good an explanation as I've heard for a while. And then on the point, and then on the point, your last point about how are you going to reduce costs, uh, what we have found in single-payer systems is that they are overwhelmingly cheaper uh, than, they have, the single-payer systems are overwhelmingly cheaper uh, than, uh, uh, than, our, than our system. The, I think the Brits pay 45 cents to the dollar for for their better outcomes, Canadians pay I think
1: forty cents to the dollar for their better outcomes. Well, so I've got I've got some of the numbers right here. Um, yeah. according to uh, Bernie's press release, um, and and there's enough third party uh, statistics that you know back this up pretty closely. Um, we are currently as a country spending three trillion dollars on healthcare a year, and that's about seventeen percent of our GDP. And here's the number that got me, and I didn't really. Because I can't do that much research for this podcast, um, the number that really struck me is that we're spending over two billion dollars, two trillion of that. So you know, sixty-five plus percent of that on the publicly financed aspect of healthcare, so Medicare, Medicaid, CHIP, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which that means one of two things, right? or it could mean a number of things, but in my mind, it means one of two things. It means either one, that those publicly financed healthcare things are incredibly inefficient with the amount of money that they're getting, or two, they are incredibly efficient and more people should be on them. And the private insurance uh, is is a disaster. I mean, there's something like, right, there's uh, the number that floats around, it's somewhere in the realm of 165 to 180 million people currently have employee sponsored healthcare. This is the, if you like your care, you can keep it thing. This is the stuff, you know, you, you go in and you fill out all the forms when you start your new job, et cetera, et cetera. You get your card and you feel like you're, you know, you just struck the lottery because you don't have to be on the exchange anymore and your prices go down and whatever you got, you know, better doctor options. Um, but where you run into, you know, where people get hung up on some of the single payer stuff and, uh, you know, I haven't seen the Dartmouth study. I've read a little bit about it, but again, neither Frank or I are, you know, policy experts on this. Um, the outcomes can potentially be better. And some of that has to do, uh, both with the legal framework. And this is an important part of, um, any insurance scheme, um, is plaintiff's attorneys and how doctors have to get insurance. And if they can get sued, hospitals can get sued, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there are a couple health. Um, health centers in this country that are doing things uh, better, you know, Mayo Clinic, Geisinger, Cleveland Clinic, uh, all pop into mind. Um, But you also, you you know, at the same time that you're figuring out how to fix the system itself, you have to figure out how to fix some of the externalities. And the externalities include plaintiff attorneys. And the externalities include R&D. Yeah, I I, I do. I'm going to push back on that a little bit. The
0: uh, there's three decades' worth of data on tort reform at the state level. Uh, and it, it showed that actually uh, legal tort and uh, and insurance, well, a it, well, it's an uh, it's an ugly factor, but nowhere near a
1: numerical factor fact
0: on the cost of health insurance or yeah. like yeah.
1: it's, it's 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 a red herring. But when you start talking about R and D, and you start talking about other things, and yes, some of some of this will come out. Where if you have a heart attack and go to the emergency room, you're going to be taken care of. You have cancer, you're going to be taken care of. If you have, um, you know, what I had—a chronic shoulder injury that you know needed surgery but didn't need it—I probably could have continued living with it. Maybe I don't get the MRI exactly when I wanted it to be. I have to go at two o'clock in the morning because that's when the machine's available. That's some of the downsides to single payer. And that's some of the stuff that freaks the hell out of people when you can't see the doctor that you know and you can't get the test when you want it. Or if you know, your knee hurts a little bit, and you know, 99% of orthopedists would say you don't need a knee replacement, but your guy says, Want a knee replacement? I'll give you a knee replacement. I'll bill insurance for it. what the hell do I care? Sure. And then there's, you know, and the what admission. ends up happening is your knee ends up worse. Like knee replacements
0: are actually one of the best examples of a place where cost versus outcome. Like we are getting,
1: as a country, getting hosed on various joint replacements, but especially knees. Hey, most of my, most of my father's retirement is wrapped up in Zimmer and us and, and, and striker. So (laughs) yeah, I mean, these are, these are, these are taking ship brought to you by orthopedists who will give you knee and hip replacements. Sure. I mean, and look, the, you know, the products
0: are, the products are fine, but you can't go to a, again, we are talking about a system where 24 million people, don't have insurance, and where the insurance system—this is the thing, right? This you mentioned the 180 people who are employ, 180 million people who have employment and insurance through their uh, through their employers. Um, and there is this, and this is just a theory of mine. Then yeah, those people generally report a degree of satisfaction. I think it's that they're satisfied they have health insurance. I mean, if someone else were to say, "Hey, you're going to have health insurance again, and it's going to be a lot less, it's going to be less complex," you are now signed up for health insurance through through a single payer system the The notion that you know 180 million people are going to rise as one and cry up and say no, I love dealing with insurance companies doesn't seem reasonable to me. And, right. and for people who have not uh, heard us talk about this before, maybe new to the podcast,
1: or uh, you know, for anyone who is who is not clear on the origin of the of the health insurance system in America, for you, the one person who accidentally downloaded our pod, our podcast while you were looking for you know, I don't know uh, talking soup. Yeah, health care <laughs> the healthcare
0: insurance system in this country is an artifact of World War II when there were caps because there was a shortage of labor uh, because there was a draft and and, uh, and, and you know, citizens of all kinds, especially men were out, were, were fighting or been drafted. Um, there were caps on how much there was a, a shortage of labor and there were mandated caps on how much you could offer someone in salary. Uh, to you know, as people employers needed workers, they were offering higher and higher salaries. And eventually, the idea was this is going to destabilize the labor market, so we're going to cap how much money you can offer people uh, during this time of war to get labor for. And so, what started happening was health insurance wasn't considered wasn't part of that, and so health insurance didn't count toward that cap. And so, employers started offering health insurance uh, as a as a sort of side perk, and that became. It, you know, And that became a competitive advantage, and so it became very common. It became de rigueur, in fact, for health insurance to offer people, uh, for employers to offer people health insurance. That's how we got an employer-based health insurance system. It wasn't because someone thought it was a good idea, because frankly, it kind of isn't. If you've worked for any organization uh, of any size that's obliged to offer health insurance, you know that there's someone in the office who spends an enormous amount of their time uh, dealing with health insurance companies, enrolling people, unenrolling people, um, negotiating, dealing with all dealing with you know the dealing with the myriad bureaucracies of several different healthcare providers. And 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 I would just stop and ask yourself this question. Why should you know a you know I mean you know why should a tech company or a nonprofit or a or a you know a car mechanic of you know of any size why are they in the healthcare business? What? How did the, you know? What, what sense does that make? It doesn't make any sense at all, right? Like this is the system through which we're created. This is the system that we rather, rather that we inherited, and I suspect that replacing it uh, is, will probably be less unpopular with people who have health insurance through their employers uh, than you know, we might initially think. Yeah.
1: You're, you, you... You're, you're probably right. I mean, yeah. The, the way you just explained it is pretty on target. I mean, the reason that the health insurance, like, it's a jerry-rigged um, health, in- health insurance industry because uh, private companies had to fill in gaps where the government wasn't providing anything. And once you open a competitive environment, you're going to end up with multiple competitors and therefore, you know, you have supply and demand curves and everything changes up significantly. Um, you know, the, the, in, in terms of costs and that sort of thing, you know, one of the important things that you know, anybody who's ever actually seen their bill, um, if they've gotten it and, you know, if they get a copy when it goes to the insurance company, whatever it is, you know, you'll see costs, you'll see adjusted for uh, insurance, and then you'll see what you pay. And, you know, the numbers are, are, are staggering. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before, the $70 bag of ice for ice therapy. Yeah, exactly. And and, and, and then, you, you know, we, we, will, we will repost this article and there's been pushback about this article over the years. Uh, but Stephen Brill wrote a cover story in Time magazine uh, back in like 2013, um, talking about why medical bills are killing us. Um, and a lot of it has to do with if you as an individual are suddenly put into a situation where you are negotiating against monoliths, you're going to lose. So whereas the insurance company may pay Ten cents on the dollar or less for your even just your physical appointment, you may be dropping six hundred dollars out of pocket. Sure, and this is this again is
0: this is the the system that we are all meant to like so much um, that we are all meant to be willing to defend <clears throat> against the the specter of creeping socialism or whatever. And the truth of it is, I don't think it's sustainable. I think. That and it is true that the fight again that historically uh, healthcare fights have been quite vicious and they and and healthcare and and opponents of healthcare reform have traditionally won. They may win this round again. Again, I emphasize not Bernie's bill. Bernie's bill is not going to come up this time. But when you know when the culminating point of this particular round of healthcare reform fight, when it happens, uh, it's possible they may win again. Uh, but I think that you know there is something instructive about the way this debate is being shaped now and about, you know, a sense that we, uh, you know, the experience of healthcare in this country has just not, has not been that good. It was not great pre-recession. It has certainly been bad post-recession as you could, you know, as you've got all these people whose, whose healthcare situation is destabilized. Uh, and, a, and a sort of, you know, the idea that, this, that the healthcare system is not working has, you know, is more popular uh, in the political lexicon than ever. Although again, it's hard to say exactly how deep this is. It is true. That when uh, that you know that, that single payer support drops when when it is when you, when you start talking about what its consequences are. Well, there may be higher taxes; it'll cost a lot of money. <clears throat> that is all true. That is done not, but those, but when that that mess that messaging is tested not paired with arguments for single payer. So it's do you support single payer? Yes. Would you support single payer if it turned out that it cost thirty two trillion dollars? Oh, I guess not. But like you know, or that people may have to take high taxes. Well, I wouldn't support it then. Uh, would you support it if it meant higher taxes on on uh, you know on if it meant specialized higher taxes on people who make more than five hundred thousand dollars
1: a year, two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year? Which is a lot of how Bernie's bill is laid out. Yeah, it's you meant know. to like. Con- the- contra- contrary to some of the criticism, he actually did laid out how he was going to pay for it. I mean, yeah, most of how he's going to pay for it is insane, but yeah, the numbers and the, and the numbers are the numbers are in there. But the bottom
0: line is, I think there is, and 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 I have a sense, and this is now just me me speculating, that there is a relationship between the way that kind of popular conception of Silicon Valley and tech has, and, and to a certain degree finance, although that, that had happened beforehand, but the way the sort of popular relationship with tech and Silicon Valley has soured and the interest in something like uh, like single pair. I think it's sort of very clear that, you know, I mean, uh, that this, there is something of uh, there is something of the early 20th century about this. That for a while there was this, there was, you know, sort of this Gilded Age, you know, mega, mega, mega wealthy, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, mainly in Silicon, like the newly in Silicon Valley, right? I mean, they were mega wealthy people from you know traditional industries as well, but the new and wealthy people, the kind of capitalist heroes, came from Silicon Valley, uh, and in a sense that like, wow, that's really great. And while they are still lionized by significant portions of the population. As with the early 20th century, there is a sense that, sort of like, well, why should these people have this stupefying amount of money? I mean, country sized bank accounts, right? Not like nation sized bank accounts. Uh, while again, 24 million Americans go without health insurance and people who have health insurance have to take to the very internet tools, the digital tools these people have created to beg for money from strangers to pay for, uh, the health and the healthcare that their families need or that they themselves need, despite the fact that many of them are already insured. Right. And I sort of, I know, again, this is just a speculation, but I have a sense there's an essential relationship between the souring of our relationship with big money tech and with, uh, the rise of of single payer, the idea being like, there is a way to pay for this stuff.
1: Kelly, you're muted. Balls. You know, saying kind of where we started with this, um, you know, some of the goals of single payer, particularly universal, universal coverage is something that, and I'm going to kind of shift where we're going in this conversation more towards kind of some of the more, Uh, practical political aspects of it, uh, and then we can wrap up this uh, Titanic ship doomed to hit every iceberg possible. Um, Universal coverage is something that I think everybody in the Democratic Party agrees on. I'm I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was in Hillary's uh, platform at, at the convention this year. Um, everything was yeah. everything was in the platform convention. Yeah, I'm pretty sure getting rid of the Second Amendment was in the was in the party platform this year. Um, but I think this is what it kind of boils down to. You know, again, to turn to some of the politics. And again, we cannot stress this enough. Bernie Sanders' bill, um, unless we actually do hit Mount Everest peak of dumb dumbest timeline America, uh, will never be something that you will ever hear about again until the 2020 primaries when uh, Gillibrand and Booker and murphy can talk about how they supported it and nobody else did um and again um you know of the six the 16 members of the democratic caucus who signed on to this um to this bill to misuse a great john stewart quote i only know three things oj did it empire is the best of the star wars films and the 16 members of the democratic caucus who signed on to bernie sanders bill will not be president of the united states in 2020 in 2021 sorry that is possible, but the relationship between your
0: third and, and whether any of them will be president or not is not causal.
1: Probably not, but I wouldn't eliminate it completely as a possibility. But, you know, so going back to, the, to, the, to some of the politics of this, and, we, and we've touched on this in various ways during this very unstructured conversation we had here, um, this is what people want from health insurance. They want to be covered first and foremost. They want it to be at a fair price and whether you can explain it that, you know, you're instead of paying $5,000 a year in health insurance premiums and with a huge deductible, you're paying $6,000 a year more in taxes. However you want to explain it, you know, the money evens out whatever it is. They want it at a fair choice. They want choice in their health care. They want to be able to go to the doctor that they want and they want accountability in their health care. And finally, they want good outcomes. Those are the five things that people want when it comes to healthcare. And I'm not basing this on polling data, I'm just basing this on common sense. And politically, single payer checks a lot of those boxes. Uh, choice, and the choice part is really the important one because uh, if anybody remembers the uh, Harry and Louise ad from 93 that the you know, Republicans and, and, and the healthcare industry ran against um, Hillary Care version one. Uh, it was about choice that you can't go to the doctor that you want and all your bills went up. Um, and, and that will likely be the exact same attack line. If this thing should actually be go from, you know, in, even into a committee hearing, which you know, as Frank, as you've said is, but when, but when the unlikely. day, when the day comes, that will be one of the attack lines. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 you know, I, I'm on the record on this podcast uh, as saying uh, several times now that if you know Dems take the House this fall, which I don't think that they will, and you know uh, keep it close in the Senate or even gain control of the Senate, we're likely looking at some kind of single payer by 2026 regardless of who's in the white house the point is the moment the moment will come Uh, there there will be a debate on this and
0: and further to your point uh, when you know when when the moment comes that we actually battle is joined on the question of single-payer yeah the harry and louise ad style of of, you know that argument is going to crop up the doctor choice thing is going to be a challenge that was a problem for the aca Um, it was you know it was it was a it will continue to be a problem I think yeah, lose, not being able to see your doctor is important to a lot of people. That's going to be a major issue. Um, it is not. It is not an issue that can't be overcome, and we actually saw that with the ACA.
1: And it's not. I, I would say that one thing that you're going to start running into um, is. Uh, um, Maybe not so much in the general practitioner world, uh, which there should be more of. And and this actually, this is something I meant to bring up a little bit earlier. When you talk about the outcomes in other countries, all those other countries, and I don't know if this is because of the healthcare system in this country or not, people in those other countries are in better health than Americans. We are morbidly obese, out of shape, take terrible care of ourselves. And this actually talks to some of the knee knee replacements you were talking about. People are getting knee replacements instead of losing 30 pounds. Sure. And, and that's, I mean, there's some life, there's some lifestyle stuff there that I'm, I I think.
0: You know, a system that could do things like, like that is incentivized to prioritize preventative care would probably help with something. It's not going to get a, It's not going to do away with the problem. Right? Like, well, I mean, that's some of the idea behind that was determined. But that, a lot that was of, one of the prongs behind the ACA. Yeah, but a lot of single payer systems do like they do prioritize because again, no one's going to make a buck if you can make if you make more money off. And this is this sounds like I'm accusing people again of twirling their mustaches and condemning people to death out of a sense of evil. That's not what's happening here. What I'm saying is the system is incentivized. The healthcare system is incentivized. To value that knee replacement more than it values, uh, you know, counseling about exercise and diet, right? Because. Uh, right, more than, but it, or or, what, or the various other forms that preventative care can take, because you make more money off the knee replacement than you do about preventing the knee from going to
1: shit in the first place. That's not a perfect example of what I'm talking about. No, but, but yeah, you get I, more money I, for yeah. treatment than you do for prevention. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, I want the orthopedic specialist who you know went to four years of med school, did you know three years of residency, and then did five years of fellowships to become the best in his field. I want him to feel that he's being paid appropriately and he deserves sure. to be paid appropriately. Sure, but this is but there
0: has not been an exodus of doctors from Canada or an exodus of doctors from No, Canada there haven't. Or an exodus of doctors from Scandinavia because yeah. of their, And this there this this was is a, a there
1: was a great clip. There was a, a a doctor or a um I'm just remembering this now or or um you know, one of the healthcare ministries, people uh, from Canada was testifying in front of a house committee, yeah, and hand, committee.
0: handed Richard Burr his lungs because yeah. he kept, because he kept trotting out these canards from, you know, yeah. what about all the doctors who are fleeing Canada? No one's no, no doctors are leaving Canada. Yeah. Well, you know, what about the, what about the, uh, you know, what about the shortages of, of healthcare? There are no healthcare shortages. Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's just, you know, the most of the, many of the objections about how awful socialized medicine is, uh, Really are just kind of fantasies, uh, and if people want to write fanfic about worlds in which uh, you know sick people are left to die in the street because all the doctors have left for better-paying jobs in private sector in private, in the private sector, uh, or you know where you you know you can't where you can't get treatment until. You know, you can't get treatment for your, you know, your your heart attack until 3 a.m. because they're, you know, the, the hospital, the emergency rooms are stacked up to the rafters with, you know, the sick and the dying. I can't stop people from writing their fanfic. What I can say is th- that is exactly it. Fiction, and it is fiction being deployed to defend a system that produces medical bankruptcies as if that was why it existed.
1: Yeah, and I would bet with, you know, reasonable confidence that if you look at, you know, um, Popularity of single payer, or some of those specific issues that we've just discussed about single payer, I would bet there's a pretty high correlation between in in age groups, meaning people who were around uh, during communism's heyday, are probably probably likely very much more opposed to single payer and government takeovers than than they would be now. There's Um, probably
0: something to that, and I think also for for younger voters. First of all, younger voters see the doctor less and not being able to see the doctor matters less to them. This is an issue that matters to older people. And, and, right. and that's true, right. I mean, I'm, I do not wish to trivialize that. That's a major issue. Yeah. Uh, but all, and, and also, so that's going to be a slightly bigger issue for them. Um, and also, I think just, you know, younger people who, have, who, were, who came of, of age or got kind of into their early mid-career during the recession and the instability of the recession, just value employer-provided. We believe they value employer-provided insurance more, but would love to be shot of
1: it. Yeah, absolutely. And to be covered that, in a different way. That's 100% true. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have anything else even moderately intelligent to say now. Well, I mean, if ever. But, you know, I mean, I, you know, why, I mean, why should either of us start now? Uh, yeah. No, I think, I mean, I I, think I, you know, there I is a moral good. imperative for universal coverage. That we can agree on. Yeah. There is a moral imperative to make, have outcomes that are better. There is a moral imperative to make it less expensive and more accessible to more people. Right. But at the same time, I firmly believe that in any scheme of insurance, there needs to be the opportunity for some kind of going back to the education uh, analogy that I drew. There are private schools that you can go to, and, and there's spend. private insurance in so in single payer systems. Exactly, and, and that there, there there needs to be that. If there wants to be a doctor who decides he doesn't want to be part of the government system, and he's only going to treat you know hedge fund gazillionaires on the upper East side of Manhattan, and he's going to charge per minute per whatever it is, God bless him. But that needs to be an option, and in Bernie's current plan, that doesn't exist. Sure, because his, because he his plan is to, you know have half a million people lose their jobs and destroy a trillion dollars of market cap from the stock market. All right. Let's, let's talk about that
0: one first, then we can break this thing up. First half a million of those people aren't going to lose their jobs. What'll happen is, with the creation of a, of a single-payer system, much of that capacity will be absorbed into whatever the new entity is. Right. Like who knows about health insurance? The people have been providing health insurance. All right, let's bring them in. But more to the point. Uh, and, and what percent. But the thing is, there's a lot of redundancy in, in, in insurance administrations. One of the reasons that our costs are so high, like they're, they're
1: brutally inefficient. There's, there's the same person that does the same job at United, does the same job at Cigna, does the same job. Cross A lot of those yeah. people are not going to be able to
0: are not going to be absorbed into the new structure. Because the new structure, in in spite of, you know, the fever dreams of some of our libertarian friends, the new government structure is going to be a lot more efficient than this incredibly inefficient market structure that has popped up. Uh, so, yeah, that is – that is, and how you deal with the decline of that industry is a major issue. In terms of how much money these people make and put into the economy, you know, I mean, uh, you know, that argument doesn't have much value to me because the same thing is true of the fossil fuel industry. And yet, and yet we march toward electronic coals and solar power and every other thing
1: because there's an imperative to do so, right? Like yeah, we, but it's, it's just but got in to they, happen. In, in and, again, in terms of the, of the marketplace, one is be – you know, the coal, and ga- coal is being replaced by gas and solar. You know, it, it's – you're not necessarily at this point, you know, in equilibrium in terms of, you know, you take, a, you know, $50 from a coal company on the market on that are tra- publicly traded and you're adding $50 to a solar company. It's not, the parity is not quite there, but that's essentially what has happened. You no, know, it's but the
0: system. But the the move toward green energy and green, there is a green economy. There is green jobs. It's been a good political point. It's been a very real point. But the system. But the change has to be made, uh, not because we think, be, not because we want people to work green instead of fossil fuel. Because, uh, but because among other, but because primarily their health outcomes. But primarily because of climate change, right? Like that's the yep. moral imperative behind this stuff. And the moral imperative here is not to prop up again a system that is, you know, is inefficient, is, you know, has worse, has worse at where you pay more for, pay more for less from your healthcare. And again, bankrupts people as if that were the entire point of its existence. And, and I'm not willing to defend, you know, I mean, it's, if it's $500 billion, if it's $500 trillion, but right, that's not a figure that can be defended because the system that it represents is just is, is, you know, is, is at worst inefficient and ridiculous. There is at best inefficient, and ridiculous, and at worst is
1: morally abhorrent. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my closing thought on this, um, speaking of the moral imperative part, uh, you know, the classic conservative tenant of faith that the government doesn't own your health care and, you know, if you can't afford it, it's your own damn fault. I'm pretty sure the number of people in this country that still believe that are either currently members of the House of Representatives or the collective rest of the population could fit on the weekly standard, you know, year, annual cruise boat. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah, uh, I, I just, I think you're particularly right when it comes to the recession and having been one of those people who was unemployed for a long time. Um, it's just nice to be covered. Yeah. Yeah. And the simplicity. So here is my here is my
0: closing point that I don't think you can make politics out of. Maybe you can, but I think it's something that people don't understand.
1: But we didn't even um, get
0: into how this is going to affect their Democratic Party long term, but that's yeah, we, probably for the better. That. Yeah, maybe just as well. Uh, the simplicity of the system is the big, is a selling point that we under that we that we uh underemphasize. Because the idea, because with single with a, with a single payer system, from the consumer perspective, yeah, you have to deal with your with your provider. That that's going to happen, uh, but you don't have to worry about changing providers. You don't have to endlessly go through the process over and over again. You're just covered. It just sort of happens, uh, and there's no interlocking set of systems that you have to use your own time to sort out there's still administration, all human systems are like this. Um, I don't know that there's necessarily a way to make political hay out of this, but it is a virtue that I think we have not particularly well understood. And I honestly think that there is a value, there is maybe a political
1: value to simplicity over choice in this case. We'll see. There might, there might be, uh, you know, one question that I will leave out for our listeners, hopefully that there is some budding um, healthcare policy wonk involved, is I'm curious... As to what percentage of healthcare advantages, advances around the world are because of the United States and what percentage of those advances are private versus the National Healthcare Institutes or the CDC or that sort of thing. This is an excellent question. I would love to have someone who knows something about it answer it. Uh, how
0: does let's and let's let's reframe it a little bit? Uh, whether, uh, or, or add to it, whether America's uh, medical innovation in the event of single payer. Yeah, and I'm
1: I'm happy to leave it there. All right, uh, thank you for sitting through uh, Frank and I displaying our ignorance about single payer, about the healthcare system as a whole. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, please be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at, at Taking Ship, and that's Ship with a P as in propensity. And please check out our f- new Facebook page as well. Um, and if you would be so kind to leave a review on iTunes um, or a comment on Twitter, we are considering having some t shirts made, and if you'd be interested, please let us know. With that, Frank, where are we headed? This week we head for Nibiru,
0: also known as Planet X. Uh, This is according to some extraordinarily reputable numerologists, and we like our numerologists reputable. Uh, This planet uh, will pass very close to Earth on September 23rd, uh, provoking cataclysmic events that will essentially end the world as we know it. Uh, the evidence for this is apparently the overlap of astrological events and significant numbers in some of the more apocalyptic bits of the Bible. NASA insists this is a hoax. Uh, they insist that it was a hoax the last time it was supposed to have happened, which I think was two thousand three. Uh, and and, uh, and 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 you know, I mean, we we basically think that yeah, there's pretty much a lock on this whole thing being a bunch of nonsense. But this is dumbest timeline america and so of course we have to at least consider the possibility that a heretofore invisible planet will hove into view next week and kill us all and ellie and i are not taking this lying down with heroic intent and salvation in our hearts we're headed into space to track down planet x and reason with it you don't need to do this we'll say surely we can come to some kind of accommodation and thus we shall avert the apocalypse through enlightened discourse and a mutual understanding of one another's values it can't possibly fail Friends, we take ship now for Planet X. Take care, everybody.